The book of Hebrews opens with God who at various times and in sundry ways and times past has spoken to us by his prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son. And he begins the book about this Son that has spoken to us. He's going somewhere. He's declaring the glories of the Son of God because he's the one speaking to us. And when we really realize who he is, we will take advantage of what he says. When he speaks, everybody doesn't listen. They should listen. He declared that he's greater than the angels. He's greater than the prophets. He's greater than Moses and Joshua. And he gives rest that none of the men of God before were able to give and sustain including David and Solomon. And as we ended last week, verse 9 of chapter 4, he says, There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself ceased from his labors, his works, as God did from his. He's pointing to the seventh day of creation where it says God finished creating. Evening and the morning were the first day he made light. Evening and morning were the second day. When he got to the seventh day, just said on the seventh day, he rested from his work. And there's no evening and morning given there. It's implied. But we're invited to enter into that rest. Not because he was tired, but because he was finished. We're invited to enter into the benefits of the finished work of redemption by this Son of God who he has been declaring the glories of in this sermon we call the book of Hebrews. Let us therefore, verse 11 of chapter 4, be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. This is so connected to the fall of man. It's ridiculous. It's amazing. Genesis chapter 3 talks about them being tempted the woman saw that the tree that they were forbidden to eat from was good for food. So the lust of the flesh, pleasant to the eyes, the lust of the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, that's the pride of life. She took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, dummy, he was supposed to guard the garden, <laughs> and he ate. Then the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. So they had been clothed with the glory of God. They had a relationship with God. They were able to enter into his rest, his finished works, and enjoy it without the consequences of sin, which is death. And now they're going to have to hold account because here comes the word of God speaking to them. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. What was this sound? 
Was it leaves? Was it footsteps? Or was it the voice of God? Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? Now is accountability time. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. God's word is like a sword, and it exposes our nakedness. What was the word at that point? Don't eat of the tree. You eat of it, you cross the boundary. There's a violation. There's no lawyer that can solve that case. You need a high priest. I just revealed where we're going. So he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Of course they did. The man said, the woman whom you gave me to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. So the fig leaves he made were not sufficient to hide the consequences of his sin. Hiding in the trees wasn't sufficient to hide from this cutting voice of God. And here comes the lame excuse, insufficient to defend himself. The woman whom you gave me to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And she said, the devil made me do it. And this is what husbands and wives do. They blame each other. They blame shift. Problem is, if we're in error, let's own up to it. Because we have a great high priest, we can do that. So to cover their nakedness, God, as their priest, as it were, killed an animal, made clothes of skins, more than one animal, I'm sure, and clothed their nakedness and set things in order including the devil himself. All right, back to our text. Seeing then, verse 14, that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So in this day of the fall, God you know, convicted them of their sin, revealed their sin, and covered their sin through the sacrifice of an animal. The consequences of sin is death, the way he set it up. But now through his son... He knows what it's like to be tempted to eat of the tree. He became fully human, one of us, so that he might be a better high priest. If he functioned as a high priest in Genesis 3, now he's even a better one. <laughs> Isn't that good? Hebrews 2:17 said this about him. In all things he had to be made like his brethren that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation, that is the work of reconciliation, for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed him. That's what we're doing today. We're considering this high priest that we have. The InterVarsity Press 
New Testament commentary says this, in view of this help, the help that Jesus is able to give us, so easily available, why do we insist so strenuously on obtaining only human help? The mutual assistance of others like ourselves is scripturally valid and often helpful, but it was never intended to replace the help available from our great, merciful, and faithful high priest. I am not alone. Let us go boldly and much more frequently to our high priest who sits on the throne of grace and ready and able to help. That's good news, folks. That is good news. And I imagine this song is sung in Ireland. I'm not sure. I just see it like that. Come ye disconsolate where'er ye languish. Come to the mercy seat, fervently kneel. Here bring your wounded heart. Here tell your anguish. Earth has no sorrows that heaven can't heal. Amen. All right, back to our text. For every high priest taken among men is appointed for men, verse 1 of chapter 5. For every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men in things pertaining to God that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. This is talking about earthly high priests. That their job is to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He, that is an earthly high priest, can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray since he himself is also subject to weakness. This is our great high priest. But our earthly high priest had this quality about him. And if we're going to minister to others as priests, we're called to be kings and priests, we've got to learn to empathize with the weaknesses of others, put ourselves in their shoes so we can effectively minister. It takes humility to be used by God. Amen? If the Son of God humbled himself, so should we. So our earthly priest, verse 2, can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray since he himself is also subject to weakness. Because of this, he is required as for the people, so also for himself, to offer sacrifices for sins. So an earthly high priest is a sinner, and so before he can offer sacrifices for your sins, he had to offer them for himself. Well, that's where the Son of God is greater. He never sinned. He was tempted. You know, it's not a sin to be tempted. He was tempted. Well, if you think it, you may as well do it. No. If you think it, don't dwell on it. Otherwise, you will do it. It can dwell in your heart. So a priest can have compassion on those who are ignorant, going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. Because of this, he's required as for the people, so also for himself, to offer sacrifices for sin. No man takes this honor for himself, but he who is called by God, just as Aaron was. So also, Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest. It was he who said to him, my son, today I have begotten you. So Jesus was chosen to be our high priest. He was chosen to be our sacrifice. The Father set it up centuries in advance. Eons of time in the times past, this thing was set up. He was chosen. So when was he begotten? Some people argue, well, he was begotten in the mind of the Father. Well, the Son already existed as the Word of God. 
So when, when was the Word made flesh? In Bethlehem, right? But when was he begotten? When did this prophecy come to pass? David wrote it, Psalm 2-7, I will declare the decree, the Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. So the Lord said to me. So me implies pre-existence, conscious existence. And the Lord says to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. When did this happen? It happened at the resurrection. Paul in Antioch of Pisidia on his first major missionary journey preaches this in the synagogue. He says, now when they had fulfilled all that was written concerning him, talking about his death, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. He was seen for many days by those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses to the people. One time there was 500 of those folks. And we declare to you glad tidings, that promise which was made to the fathers. God has fulfilled this for us, in that he has raised up Jesus, as it is also written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. <laughs> so when was that? It's connected to when he was raised up. So if the son of God has always been, and in Bethlehem, he was born, he, he became a man, but he was still a son of God, right? So when was he begotten? It had to be when he died and rose from the dead. See that? Read the rest of chapter 13 and you'll see the same thing being implied. He also says in another place, verse 6, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. This was a prophecy given in Psalm 110 says, your people shall be volunteers on the day of your power. Any volunteers in the house? In the beauties of holiness, from the womb of the morning, you have the dew of your youth. The Lord has sworn and will not relent. Say, not back down. The Lord has sworn and will not back down. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So, those that would struggle with Jesus being a high priest is he wasn't born of the tribe of Levi. Now, he had cousins that were of the tribe of Levi. I mean, John the Baptist was, you know, his father was a priest. But to be a priest, according to the Torah, post-Moses, you had to be of the tribe of Levi, a descendant of Aaron. Uh, if you meet Jewish people named Cohen, the name Cohen relates to the priesthood, relates to that tribe, the Kohenim. So Christ is a priest not according to Aaron, but according to Melchizedek, the priest and king of peace. He was a king of Salem, the, the predecessor to Jerusalem, the king of peace, the prince of peace, the priest of Almighty God, Melchizedek. Nobody knows where he came from. Nobody knows his pedigree, his family tree. There he is, and there's Abraham paying tithes to him. A picture of the Son of God, who would be our priest, born outside the lineage of Levi, although he was related to them, but in the lineage of David, the tribe of kings. You see that? And so this is our Lord, our Savior, our great 
high priest. Can we say great? He's the great high priest. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, we would see just how great you are and that we would relate to you on an intimate, deeper, more real level than ever before. In Jesus' name, amen. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I believe Jesus was speaking prophetically to Nicodemus of his death from which he would arise and bring salvation to the world. He died as our sacrifice, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He arose as our high priest to minister the benefits of his covenant. Have you ever made a great sacrifice to bless somebody and they didn't take full advantage of it? Kind of grieving, isn't it? Well, to do something about it, the Lord functions as our high priest. He made the great sacrifice, he arose from the dead, and as our high priest, he ever lives to make intercession for us. He ever lives to minister to us. Now some people think the Old Testament priesthood was just offering sacrifices. That's all they did. They just conducted rituals. But if you read the First Testament, you see they did much more than that. The InterVarsity Press commentary, back to them again, they said, we tend to think of the Levitical priest as engaged only in rituals and sacrifices which were often virtually meaningless to the people. But if we read Leviticus and Deuteronomy carefully, we'll see that such priests served in the place of modern ministers and counselors today. In explaining to the people the purpose of each offering, they would be dealing with problems of fear, insecurity, anxiety, guilt, and shame. They would be ministering truth to people on the seriousness of sin, but on the mercy of God that's available to them through the blood. Thus they fulfilled an important role in the nation's life. Now what is this about blood? Is Christianity a bloody religion? It's not about blood as a fluid or hemoglobin or the, the corpuscles of the Messiah. It's about his life. And the scriptures reiterate more than once that life is in the blood. And the blood brings us life and carries away death. It's, it's like a, a great uh, logistic system. It transports oxygen and nutrients and water to every cell in your body and transports dead cells and waste products from every area of your body to where it can be flushed out. It's the transportation system. Well, the blood of Christ, his life, was to wash away our sin and to bring to us the benefits of imputed righteousness. Isn't that awesome? It's great to be forgiven, but it's even greater to now be made righteous. So as our high priest, he serves in the capacity to ensure that you and I receive the full benefits of his offering, of his poured out life. Sin brings death. It just does. The Lord reiterates that to get the point across. It's not good for us. 
It separates us from God. It separates us from one another. It kills relationships. Sin destroys families. Sin brings death everywhere it goes. But Christ brings life. He took death upon himself so that we do not have to succumb to the consequences of sin being delivered from its penalty and as we walk in alignment with his will from its power. Our great high priest. Here we see nine high priestly qualifications for Jesus in the text today. Every high priest had to be a human selected from among men for every high priest is taken from among men. So Jesus meets that qualification. Okay? That's the incarnation. That's the humanity of the Lord. A high priest was appointed to represent people to God. So a high priest is appointed for men in things pertaining to God. So the priest, having offered sacrifices for his own sin, now appeals to God for mercy on his people but offering sacrifices for them. See what I mean? It's not just the priest and the Lord, but it's the priest and the people and the Lord. Uh, we read earlier in Hebrews, here am I and the children you have given me. As our priest, he makes sure things are done. Well, what is God doing? He's building a people through the revelation of the first covenant and the new covenant. Priestly ministry is something important. Have you ever been in trouble and didn't know how to fix something and you needed somebody to be a mediator to go to someone and help repair the damage in the relationship? That's a priestly minister. We've all been given that, the ministry of reconciliation. Well, Jesus ever lives to help us with this. His duties included the priestly duties, offering up sacrifices and gifts for sins. Jesus fulfilled that duty. And now his duty is to make sure we benefit from his sacrifice. To lift up the condemnation that you've been carrying around. To bring revelation to you that none of us are worthy, but he made us worthy. A high priest, earthly high priest, would need to have compassion towards the ignorant and those who are going astray. And of course, Christ fulfilled that by becoming one of us. Who would want to go see a priest or a mediator who just scolds you, condemns you, stomps you in the ground, bullies you? Well, it's for a good cause. Uh, you would stop going to that person, right? Some churches are like that. You go to somebody you're hurting and they just rebuke you. It's like they really don't want you to bother them with their problems. So they're going to beat you up with a word. There's a place for calling one another to a higher walk, but there's a way to do it. Can I get an amen? Every high priest should have been able to do this well by having had weakness. Christ subjected himself to weakness. He lived as a man anointed by the Holy Spirit and had to go through the human experience. Why? Because it was the will of God to make a great high priest. All the high priests before him were predecessors to what he would fulfill. And when he was living, 
the priests were corrupt. The high priesthood became political appointments. That happened in that church based in Rome. Some of those popes were absolute criminals, but given power through politics, deal-making. God's the one that appoints us, amen? Every high priest had to be appointed by God. That's the point we made. He didn't uh, honor himself. He was made who he was by his father, just as the uh, earthly priests were. No high priest could be self-appointed. So to become a high priest, Jesus didn't glorify himself. He humbled himself. And because of his humility, his father glorified him. Our high priest is God's begotten son. This is an advantage. He's not Aaron's son. He's not a Levite. It's always interesting to me the demonstration of the grace of God in choosing the tribe of Levi to be the priest. Because remember their forefather? He was a pretty wicked dude. But in spite of our sin, God reaches through redemptively. Right? Remember Shechem, the village of Shechem? Levi was right at the middle of that conspiracy. But God in his mercy chose them. And then Aaron. Sure, he was Moses' spokesman, but then he was part of a division questioning Moses' right to rule as the leader because of his wife. Maybe a little racism at work there. But God in his mercy chose Aaron. Aaron was part of making the golden calf. Oh, the people, the people, the people, my foot, he was in charge. But God in his mercy, thank God for your mercy. I thank you for the cup. I thank you for the bread. I thank you for the cross you hung upon till dead. I thank you for the tomb, the stone you rolled away. But more than anything, I thank you for your mercy. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Now, priests were washed when they were ordained, clothed in clean clothes. They were immersed, as it were. A sacrifice was made for them, and they were anointed with oil. Christ, at his baptism, fulfilled all those. He was the sacrifice. The blood was in his veins that would be spilled. He was immersed in water by the priestly lineage, John, Zechariah, the priest's son. And the Holy Spirit came down upon him. That's better than any oil. That's anointing. And a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So he's the great high priest. He's the perfect high priest. Our high priest, while already being God's son, has been perfected for us. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. He's already the sinless son of God, and yet he learned obedience. How did he learn obedience? By the things that he suffered. He learned obedience by resisting temptation. 
there's temptations that you yield to and there's temptations you resist. And you resist temptation, you learn how to overcome other temptation. Well, Christ never yielded to temptation, but temptation can be painful, can it not? Anybody here ever fasted? More than a meal? That can hurt. Now, when you get to day four, it kind of gets easier, but it's still not easy. It messes with your mind. But Christ resisted temptation, which is a form of suffering. He learned obedience. As God, who does God obey? I'm not getting into heresy here. He obeys himself. He does not violate his word, right? But as a man, the Son of God learned obedience so that he could become the author of eternal salvation to all who obey Your salvation is not a skin of your teeth salvation. It is a secure salvation. Years ago, Laura had the revelation that God doesn't hold us like this. (laughs) Here you go. But we're held like this. There's security in him, right? If you mess up and he, he forgives you. You turn to him for forgiveness. You don't want to live a life of rebellion. I mean, if you're saved, you want to please the Lord, right? So he's the author of eternal salvation. There's somebody here that needs to know that they're saved. And if they are and they've messed up, that they can come back to God. The blood that was shed for the sinner was shed for the saint. The sacrifice that was made to redeem us from our sin resulted in the resurrection and Christ being our high priest. And we'll see later on in the book of Hebrews that if we persist in living a life of sin, God has a way of dealing with you. It's called discipline. Why? Because you're saved. So don't dare him to discipline you. Sometimes the discipline is just letting you reap the consequences. You know? Some things in your life start dying and you realize, oh, I'm going in the ways of death. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for who you are. I thank you, Lord, for revealing yourself to us as our great high priest. I thank you, Lord, for eternal salvation. I thank you, Lord, for going through the cross and through temptation for 33 plus years on the way to the cross to overcome sin for us. Thank you, Lord, that you're a faithful high priest, that you're able to empathize with us, that you're able to help us. And I pray, Lord, as we grow in relationship with you, that we would grow in our priesthood, that we would be empathetic, caring people, able to minister words of life to one another, that, Lord, that we would willingly lay down our lives to the point of death if that's what we're called to do. In Jesus' name. When I was young, you called my name I tried to run, but still you came And you stepped into the dark Cause that's just the kind of God you are
when heaven seems beyond my reach you still see eternity in me you're turning ashes into because that's just the
10 years or an eternity. <laughs> and uh, you'd see these kids come and go, you know. Uh, and over the years, we've seen some of them wander in and wander off. Some of them come back and stay. But the first time I heard this song, if you could put that first verse up there. When I was young, you called my name. This guy right here, when he was young, I met him in, he was in high school, I think. Sixth middle school. Sixth, middle school, yeah. So, uh, and he ran from God. For years he ran from God. And I would see him, he would come sometimes, he'd sneak in the back, he'd sit over here, and then he'd be gone for a while. But he's not gone anymore. He is here to stay. So, so I'm pr so proud of him. Uh, I've been a prodigal in my life, and there may be people here that you're not where you want to be with God right now. And I can't think of a better day than today for you to come home, for you to say, I'm coming home, I'm not running to you. Can anybody identify with that? Anybody? Yeah. So you don't, so we've got to have the prayer team come up here to the front. And uh, it's not just for prodigals that I'm giving an altar call for. If, if you need anything at all for, for healing, for employment, for anything you have in your life that you have a need for, today is the day that that need can be met. Today is the day you can come home to God. Let's sing that again. Okay. When I was young, you called my name. I tried to run, but still you came And you stepped into the dark Cause that's just the kind of God you are When heaven seems beyond my reach You still see eternity in me Turning ashes into heart Cause that's just the kind of guy you are It's in the empty tomb It's on the rugged cross Your death-defying love Is written in your scars You'll never quit on me You'll always hold my heart Cause that's the kind of guy gave me freedom from my sin you told me i could start again all the hurt is dead and gone now will your daughters and your sons amazing grace how sweet the sound we once were lost but now we're found That's the kind of God you 
This is Laura Blankenship. She's been coming to youth on Wednesdays, riding the van. And at the night of worship, she gave her life to Jesus. Yes, Lord. And, and she, she feels like her story would be an encouragement to somebody here. Go ahead, Laura. Ten years ago, I turned away from God. And for ten years, I stayed away from Him. I knew He was there. Deep down, I think, I knew He was there. But I refused to face Him. And every time I wavered and I looked at Him, he was still there, but I did not want to go back for some reason. Actually, I know the reason. Ten years ago, my grandfather passed away, and I just, I was like, if he was real, he wouldn't do that to me. But no, what he had done was he took my grandfather because my grandfather had finished his trials here on earth. Amen. He was done. So he was taken from all this pain that he was feeling, and he was brought into the kingdom of heaven. I know that now. I'm no longer a child. I'm not ignorant to what happened anymore. For these 10 years, for 10 years, I just turned away from him. But I had a friend that he told me to come back. He brought me back one day at youth, just got me on the van. I came here, and now I'm here. I don't ever want to leave God again. I turned around and I faced him again. I faced him again. And he was still there after 10 years. After 10 years, he waited. He was still there. And he would have waited longer. He would wait 15, 20, 30 years. He would wait for you forever. But why make him wait? Because you can turn around right now. And he'll accept you. You can turn around. never too late to turn back to God. Amen. 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 Lord, we just thank you for Laura. We ask you, Lord, to use her mightily for your glory. Yes, Lord. In Jesus' name, in her school, her church. Lord, there's preaching this girl. Let her preach the gospel <laughs> everywhere. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So for 10 years, the Lord was functioning in her life as a high priest ministering behind the scenes for her. Lord, we thank you for your goodness and your mercy. We pray, Lord, you'd bless your people, you'd keep your people, that you'd cause your face to shine upon your people, and that you would be gracious to every person in this room. Thank you, Lord, you do these things. Lift up your countenance upon them and give them your peace. Thank you, Lord. May we never forget we are not alone. Amen. God bless you. Go get him, Bengals. Amen. Great job. Great job.